You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. But uh, great pleasure to introduce to you John Mason. Uh, I mentioned at the 9 o'clock that John um, uh, planted a church in Australia and then was rector of a church uh, in Sydney. Actually, if you ever get a chance to go to the zoo in Sydney, which is uh, phenomenal, uh, the zoo was in his parish. Uh, So he was responsible for the animals at the zoo. And then, uh, and then he uh, left there to come to New York City, replanted a church in Manhattan, which then gave birth to another church uh, in Manhattan that is still there. And uh, John and Judith Deere uh, and wonderful friends and faithful ministers of the gospel. And so, John, uh, very glad to have you uh, here sharing in the ministry of the Word, brother. It's all you. Thank you very much indeed, Andrew. It's great to be here with you all this morning. And I noticed that uh, clearly Andrew's been working on cutting back my time this morning by extending that uh, first service. Anyhow, here we are, and uh, wonderful to see you. Uh, The story is told of a town in England where a large casino was being built. Uh, The local churches there objected uh, in no uncertain terms. Nevertheless, the uh, building went ahead and the casino opened. On the night that the casino opened, uh, many people gathered out on, outside the casino doors and were seen in an attitude of prayer. Uh, these people were clearly from the local churches. Later that night, the casino burnt to the ground. Now, the casino owners then took the local churches to court, accusing them of bringing down the building by fire. In summing up the case, the judge had this to remark. He said, I find it rather strange that people who don't believe in prayer clearly do. But those who say they believe in prayer tell us that they don't believe in prayer. They were not responsible for the burning down of the church, of the casino. Now, I begin with this little story this morning because I want to ask you the very simple question, what do you think of prayer? Do you pray? And when you do pray, do you pray with confidence? Well, let's turn to a reading, and you might like to turn it up. I've got Bibles in front of you there. A reading from Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 And we begin with Jesus' disciples asking him the question, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught us his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are with me in bed. 
I can't get up and give you, give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now let me identify two questions about prayer that people often put to me. First of all, can God be trusted to hear our prayer? And then secondly, can he be trusted to answer us? Well, Jesus anticipates our questions, for down in the centre part of what I've just read, verses 9 and 10 of Luke 11, we read these words, Ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. I think it's rather brilliant, don't you? Uh, Jesus anticipated uh, the word ask in the English language, uh, forming a little reminder of those three points. A for ask, S for seek, K for knock. This is brilliant. Well, on either side of these promises, Jesus has two questions, or answers our two questions about prayer. God always hears our prayers, he's telling us. And then secondly, God always has our very best interests at heart. So just look at verses 5 through 8. It's a parable that's sometimes called the friend at midnight. And it falls into the category of sayings that have an underlying, unspoken question, can you imagine? So that's the underlying question Jesus is asking. Can you imagine this happening? Can you imagine a man talking like this to a friend in need? Well, the key to our understanding of this parable is found in the words usually translated, the man's impudence, or in the translation that I've read this morning, the man's boldness, down there in verse 8. Well, I want to suggest that this is one place where most of our English translations are unhelpful because they've followed a translation that probably goes back to the 12th century. In recent times... Dr. Kenneth Bailey has brought some new and helpful insights to the parables from his work in the Middle Eastern culture. So we need to look carefully at those verses 7 and 8. The flow of the pronouns, me and my in verse 7, refer to the householder who was in bed. The flow of the sentence into verse 8 and the pronouns he and his also refer to the householder. What is more, the word translated impudence or boldness in verse 8 is actually better translated sense of shame, sense of honour. So the flow of the syntax of the, of the uh, verses 7 and 8 
the narrative of impact of the story has the sleeper in bed as the focus, not the man who is knocking at the door. In other words, this story is actually a story where God is represented as the one in bed. Now let's think back to the bigger picture for a moment. The unwritten laws of Middle Eastern hospitality, which are an important subtext to this parable, required a man to get up and help his neighbour in need, even if it was midnight or even two o'clock in the morning. If he didn't, he and his household would be shamed. And that in turn, according to Middle Eastern hospitality, would actually bring shame or dishonour on the whole of the village, the whole of the community. Can you imagine, Jesus is asking, anyone saying to a neighbour in need, even at midnight, get lost, don't disturb me. So it is with God, Jesus wants us to understand. His very nature will demand that he get up and act. Otherwise, why? He'll bring shame and dishonour to his name. What does Jesus tell us to pray for in one of those lines in the prayer that he, the model prayer he gave the disciples and which we take up week by week, if not day by day? Father in heaven, hallowed, honoured, be your name. May your name not be shamed nor dishonoured in any way whatsoever. Father, always act according to the honour of your name is the substance of that line. Go back to the pages of the Old Testament and some of the great prayers that we read there. What's a key to the prayer that Moses prayed when God said, get out of the way Moses, I'm going to kill off this people and I'm going to start again. Moses said, no Lord, that would bring dishonour to your name. Rather, Lord, act according to your honour. You called this people out to be your special people. Honour your commitment to them. Otherwise, everybody else is going to know that you're a God who doesn't keep his word. Move on to other great prayers of the Old Testament. Come to the prayer of Daniel. Daniel pleads his cause before the Lord in Daniel chapter 9 using the same term. Lord, for the honour of your name, for the sake of who you are, rise up and act. And because of God's honour, Jesus is telling us, because God is a God of integrity, because of God's name, he will hear and he will act. So God will no more ignore the prayers of his people than a mother will ignore her crying baby. Hopefully fathers will also hear it as well. You see, God is a God of integrity. He can be trusted to hear our requests. No matter how small they are, no matter what time of the day or night, God is on call 24-7. And he's far better equipped than all the telcos that human invention can devise because he's able to bring in everybody 
and hear everybody's prayers, even though they're coming in, as it were, in their billions at any one moment. God hears our prayers. Well, you may say, that's, that's great. I've got no problem about that. Now I begin to think about it. But what about my second question? Will God give me good things? Can he be trusted or is he fickle? Well, have a look at, down at verses 11 through 13 and let me paraphrase. The most violent thief can be kind to his son. The most mercenary-minded father can be generous to his daughter. So the underlying question, do you think God is any less open-handed, Jesus is asking? Now you may be tempted to say, well, why don't all of God's people have at least $10 million and perfect health? Uh, why are some bankrupt and others ill? Well, look again at verses 11 through 13. To trust in God's goodness is also to rely on his fatherly wisdom. So if your son asked for fish, would you give him a snake? Uh, but what if he does uh, insist on getting a snake? In fact, what if your son tells you that uh, everybody in his class has uh, now got a, a reptile, pretty poisonous one, rattlesnake for example, and he therefore needs to be up with the rest of the class and have one too. Is a good father going to yield to that kind of bullying? Of course not. A loving father will give good gifts, but he'll use his discretion regarding what and when to give. So Jesus wants to assure us that God will not exploit our prayer or act in some malicious way. He tells us that in the prayer that he taught his disciples that we can address God as Father. You know, that's the greatest privilege that any of us can have, to be able to call the God of the universe Father. And what is more, God has done everything to make it possible for us to call upon God as Father. Even down to the fact, as Paul points out in Romans chapter 8, and I think it's around about verse 16 or 17, he says as we've turned to Christ and we've been forgiven before God of everything that we've ever done that's dishonoured the name of God in our own lives, we're not only forgiven, but the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, comes into our lives and awakens our inner understanding of our relationship with God so that we can actually call upon God as Abba, Father. Is that the attitude that you bring to your prayer to the God of the universe? You know, he's not just a great God, a majestic God, an awesome God. He is a compassionate God. As we prayed in the prayer of humble access this morning, he is a God whose nature 
is always to have mercy. No matter what we've done, no matter how much we've turned our back on him and his ways, our God, his nature is always to have mercy. This is the God we're praying to. We can trust. This is the God who is not only big enough and great enough and awesome enough to be able to give us everything we ask, but he is also wise enough to know when to give us what we need in his purposes at any given time. And so Jesus' words in that prayer, he taught the disciples, your will be done, that's not fatalism. These words are necessary to any agreement for a, with a good and compassionate, all-powerful father. Now, I might say that people who find it difficult to grasp this idea of a good and, love, good and loving father are often people who have experienced an unhappy childhood, perhaps neglected or even abused by their father. And there may be some here today who've had that experience. Well, Jesus is saying, we can trust our heavenly father. Even if we've not had good experiences of an earthly father, we can nevertheless trust in the goodness of our father in heaven. So Jesus is telling us, in answer to our second question, that we need not fear that God is fickle or will twist our words. God may not give us everything we want. He may delay making any response, but like any good and loving father, he doesn't want to spoil us with overindulgence. In fact, he may also want to test our seriousness in prayer, whether we need to persist or give up. And by the way, Jesus does speak about persistence in another parable. It's further on in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 18, and a widow who kept on knocking at the door of an unjust judge. You see, the reality is sometimes God does say no to us, doesn't he? He did to Paul when Paul asked him to remove the thorn that was troubling him. He said no to Jesus when Jesus begged that the cup of suffering might be removed from him as he prayed in that garden of Gethsemane. But if God says no, we can be sure of this. God has got bigger plans, far bigger plans than we ever dreamed. And sometimes his answer will even leave us in pain. But a good parent doesn't give in to the pleas of a child who fears the prick of a vaccination needle. The vaccination is needed. So when we begin a prayer relationship with God, the Father, we open the door to untold blessings. And that's why Jesus is speaking with unqualified confidence when he says, Ask, and you will, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. If you remember nothing else from this morning, just remember the word, Ask. 
when it comes to the subject of prayer. Ask, seek, knock. And once we start listening to God, um, we feel we want to talk with God and ask him questions and make make, uh, um, comments and so on. And by the way, um, on Friday, Andrew had asked me to give um, a little seminar, and one of those seminars I gave was on the subject of the Psalms and Thomas Cramner and why he had the Psalms um, built into our morning and evening prayer in the liturgy. And do you know, he had everyone in church reading through all 150 Psalms every month, so 12 times a year. As I was working back over this in preparation for the seminar I gave, I, uh, I, I personally felt very challenged. I've always endeavoured to have at least one psalm a day in my, my prayer life so that God would open the conversation. As I've begun to think about all of this, I've begun to see what Cramner was doing. As he is getting God's people in the church in England to come back to the Psalms, Cranmer saw that the Psalms were taking everyday experiences of life and then speaking God's word back into our minds and hearts. I think that's a clue, by the way, for us to grow richly in our own prayer life grow richly in our relationship and our walk with the Lord and in turn equip us to be able to speak more effectively into the wider community with the good news of who God is. So when we come to prayer, it's a matter of realising that God's going to hear our prayer. He's also going to give us the good things we need He will answer our prayer. We can be confident in that. But he wants us to allow him to begin the conversation. That's why I make my point about the Psalms. In New York, I uh, coined a little phrase along these lines. I've changed it a little bit uh, these days, and I'll tell you where I started. Um, Wall Street Ministry, and then as Christ Church began, and we started to the formation of what's now Emmanuel Anglican Church in Manhattan, I said, uh, I find a psalm a day keeps the devil at bay and prompts me to pray. Well, with my greater understanding of what Cramner was doing, I've actually adjusted those lines and I've said, I find psalms each day. Not the whole 150, but at least more than one. Psalms each day keep the darkness at bay and prompt me to pray. I'm allowing God to start the conversation. Now, I've been given a very precise time limit uh, this morning, and I would like to uh, give you the opportunity of asking any questions or making any comments. Uh, I won't allow any complaints this morning. We won't have time. Uh, John, I've always been wondering about verse 13 where he says, and you then who are evil to the disciples. Is that a really addressing everyone that's a sinner or can you unpack evil? Yes, Jesus is saying that you've all fallen short 
of the glory of God. So he is saying to his disciples, even calling them, even in this evil world, generally speaking, in other words, that's out of this living in darkness rather than the light of God and relationship with God. So if you know how to give good things to your, your children, how much more, and that's the language, it's the language of logic, how much more will God do good things? And by the way, I've yet to give you a concluding line to my remarks this morning. Any, other, any questions? How much time did you say you've given me? <laughs> Let's think of prayer this way. Prayer is actually an, an articulation of our relationship with the Lord. Um, in the same way that we like to articulate our thoughts, in various ways, in varying degrees, with those around us. Now, in a marriage, there's going to be a much more intimate expression, verbalised, of our relationship with our spouse, in turn with members of our family. But you see, bottom line is, God has built us for relationship because he himself has existed in eternity in relationship, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. As you'll hear me say in a moment or two, all three persons of the Godhead are actually being spoken about here in this little section on prayer. So, I try and capture, bring your two questions together and answer as one because of time. Um, I would encourage everyone to see that prayer is something that ought to be part of our day-to-day -day life. I think that Cramner was right in picking up not just for the clergy but the, uh, the strong encouragement that the people of God ought to be praying and coming before the Lord morning and evening. So we start the day with prayer, we conclude the day with prayer. And indeed, indeed I found that to be very helpful. So I begin the day with prayer and, and I'm bringing actually the, the whole theme of praise of God and who he is, therefore the honouring of his name, into the, the first part of my prayer. But then when I start to outline the particulars of my prayer to the Lord for the day, I will do so with my calendar open. 
and I look at specific things that I want to pray to God about, asking his wisdom and his grace so that I'll be, I'm already preparing myself for meetings that I might have for ministry in the course of the day. And then at the end of the day, I'll go back and thank the Lord for the wisdom he's given me. Sometimes unexpected thoughts that have come to me in the course of a pastoral meeting. So, our heritage is right. A pattern of prayer, day by day, learning to build up that relationship with the Lord into an ever greater maturity and confidence. John, thank you for your teaching uh, this morning. Um, this is overly simplistic, I know, but it's a, a, in response to um, Andrew's good question, I think about changing God's mind uh, and your teaching of the Psalms preparing us for prayer. Um, and, and like I said, I know it's overly simplistic, but if we begin prayer with an understanding of who God is and who we are by listening, uh, whether it's to the Psalms or other scripture, um, then I think what happens or what can happen is that the whole idea of me attempting to change God's mind um, makes no sense. Uh, I would not want to be praying to change God's mind even if I could because that almost by definition suggests that I know better than he. If I come to him in prayer with that attitude, which I do often, then I get this image of God saying to me, although I've never heard him say it audibly, Don, you can keep flapping your lips, I've got all eternity. When you're ready to really pray with me, I'll be here. So that when my condition of heart is not correct, I'm trying to explain to God what I want, what I need, what I need, what I would like for him to do in other people's lives as well as mine. But when my position is correct in prayer, then the whole notion of attempting to influence or change God's mind uh, just diminishes completely. I tried to capture those the two elements of Andrew's question as one. Perhaps I should go back to a quote, uh, but because of time I've omitted this morning, but I'll now give it to you. Blaise Pascal, a French philosopher, once said, God instituted prayer in order to lend to his creatures the dignity of causality. So our talking with God has meaning and purpose. And yet so often we underestimate prayer. We forget we're talking to the God who sits at the heart of the universe. He's not just awesome in his majesty, he's awesome in his power. A power yet to be unleashed. Thank you. Um, somewhat similar to Don's uh, question uh, in a different uh, twist here. Um, in verse 9 where it says, Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open to you. Uh, I know God knows our needs long before we ask, but how often must we ask? Do we continue to uh, beat on God like the uh, widow? Uh, or do we just submit our prayers to him, our requests to him one time and write it in our journal and do, what, what, what would you say to that? 
There are going to be times in life when we are just absolutely bereft and we, are, we know we're just totally, totally dependent upon the Lord. Don't give up talking to God. Keep on asking. Yeah. But remember this. For the honour of God's name, he is going to hear us and he's going to answer us and he's going to give an answer that is for our very best. We can trust him. Very quickly as I conclude, why does Jesus bring in the person of the Holy Spirit in verse 13? I'm going to answer my own question. He's speaking of the time when he was going to send the Spirit of God, his own Spirit, to work in the world in a unique way, in a new way, to work in the lives of all God's people. The Spirit is going to open our hearts and minds to the truth of the Gospel, as Jesus indicated in his conversation with Nicodemus, John chapter 3. The Spirit will open our hearts to God and enable us to call God Father, Romans chapter 8. The Spirit will open our lives to God and empower us to trust him, come what may. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Never forget Jesus' words. Ask, seek, knock. Amen. John, thank you, brother. And uh, John will be preaching in the refectory. And uh, always a delight to have you with us. And uh, let's pray for John and Judith before they leave because he actually finished just slightly ahead of time. So let's take some time to pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing John and Judith to us, and we pray for their ministry uh, here and abroad, Lord, that the gospel would go forth and that the ministry that uh, they do would go from strength to strength and that you would bless them. And Lord, thank you for gospel partnerships like those that we have with John and Judith and Anglican Connection, uh, Lord, that they would bring glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.